Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. For Every Day is Earth Day this morning, we've got a special guest. It is Eric Steinmetz. He has been a longtime supporter and advocate for the Casota Prairie, and he is with us today to talk a little bit about the Casota Prairie and an event coming up for everyone to learn more about it. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Karen. Nice now, to be here. It's great to have you on the show. Now, I know you have been involved with the Casota Prairie for a long, long time. How long have you been a part of this? Jim? Well, it goes way back. It's, uh, it's 1979 when residents in that area were getting notices that the mining company had bought up the, the prairie, the adjacent uh, land, which was mostly being used as pasture at that time. And uh, and they were concerned about a major industrial effort going into their backyards, particularly, and they formed a group to find out more about it, to alert other people that this was going on, and to oppose it to some extent, or maybe to the fullest extent that they were able to. Let's talk about where is this place and what was it that the people who were mining in came in to do? Well, it's south and west of, of the town of Casota. Ordinarily, you would go down uh, to the first gravel road going west towards the river, and uh, but that's closed off now. They're running slurry lines across there, and so that they've diverted that and closed the road temporarily, and you can't go that way anymore. Now you have to go all the way around the section, go in on... Uh, what is 480th Street on uh, on Google or any on your maps or anything like that? It's, it's well marked with signs. There's green signs that we put out there. So this mine came in back in the 70s, then. Right, Unimin. Unimin. Is the, way, the way it was and pronounced. And what were they coming there to do? Well, Uniman is a nationwide or even international mining company, and they exclusively mine non-metallic, non carbon type of things, sand and gravel and glass for glass, and fracking sand became very big in the late 70s, or they thought it was going to be very big, and they, they found a vein of the perfect frack sand uh, just south of Consota there, and they bought up property. They'd like to move under the radar, and they get everything lined up, and, and then they have public hearings before the county board and for the general public and stuff like that. But they try to get everything lined up ahead of time. So was it generally used, you mentioned, as pasture land, so it was local farmers or someone who owned a lot of this land before they purchased it up? Yeah. The original pasture, the original parcel was a a man named O'Brien, and it was 640 acres, most of which was rolling bluffs and and river bottom land, and but there, there was some substantial land that could be mined, and uh, they wanted to mine it. It was right next to the railroad tracks. It was close to the to the roads. It had good contacts with communication, so they thought it was going to be a commercially valuable property, and they bought it up. And so obviously, like you said, there were a bunch of people who were concerned about what this was going to do to the land, 
and what that would mean. And so then Save the Casota Prairie is an organization who has worked to try and reclaim, I guess that's the word you use, this this place, what they, what they have mined. So give a little history about that group. When did that actually form and when did they start having them repopulate the land with uh, native plants and things like that? Well, for the most part, because it was real irregular and rocky ground, it had never been plowed. And uh, so it was a it was a beautiful natural area, and a lot of it had been heavily grazed and uh, overgrazed to some extent, and was run down for that reason. But an awful lot of it, especially the rocky hilltops where cattle are too lazy to go up there, and the the, the pickings are pretty slim as far as uh, as grazing up there. Those areas were absolutely superb. They had to. Prairie remnants that were just gorgeous in their diversity, and and uh, those are the areas that people like to go out. People hiked out there freely from the town and from the surrounding farmsteads, and nobody seemed to bother him too much. You know, you avoided the cattle when the cattle were out in the field, but uh, you could just hop over the fence and go hiking around there, and it was a beautiful area. And the people who had been out there wanted to preserve it. They wanted to preserve it from the, the mine shovels, which would tear off the top of it, and who knows what would be left behind. When did that group get involved then, save the Casota Prairie? Well, we, they had meetings right in 1979 when they got the notices in the mail. But we were incorporated as a nonprofit in 1981 or 82. I'm not exactly sure what. But we went to the state. Uh, we we had lawyers. We had all kinds of people that were really good at uh, publicity and at uh, arguing in, in public forums and stuff like that. And uh, and the longer it went on, the better we got at it. And we we raised a lot of fuss. We we challenged the right to have a conditional use permit that would allow them to mine the area at all because it was a unique natural area. It had. Uh, cultural significance because of the Native Americans and uh, there, there was a whole, you know, we argued everything we could think of to try to stop it. Meanwhile, the mining company was, they built a plant, they broke uh, ground and started mining sand right next to the railroad tracks on the east side of the parcel. So we went that way and we, uh, we fought them in the newspapers and we fought them in the public hearings and uh, we fought them in court and uh, finally we one of our challenges registered with the Minnesota Supreme Court, and we got a hearing at the Supreme Court with a couple of young lawyers uh, writing the briefs for it. And at that point, the mining company decided that this was costing too much and this was the outcome was too uncertain, and they decided to sit down with our group and come to a settlement. And what did that settlement entail? Essentially, the 400 acres on the east side of the, of the section were uh, allowed to be mined, as they were already doing, and the 240 acres adjacent to the river, half of which was native prairie, would be kept as a conservation zone in perpetuity, and it would be uh, it would be kept that way, and it would be it would allow the public for, I think the the phrase was educational recreational and scientific purposes would the public would be allowed to come on there as they chose in that area and that area would be marked and fenced off and and we in conjunction with the mining company would manage that area and would have the would have it managed to 
restore and preserve the natural qualities of the area and as much as we could and to take it that way. At that time, they thought that the mining process of that section would take them till about the year 2000, and then they'd be done, and then the property that was the conservation zone would be turned over to a third party to manage it in perpetuity as a, mm-hmm. as a public area, as a conservation zone. Who's managing it now? Well, we uh, it's still owned by Unimin, and uh, it's still being operated under the original contract. All the the period has been extended quite a bit, <laughs> as we were in 2022. Right, that's what I was asking. What happened after 20? <laughs> we're we're more than double the number of years. Well, they they had a good good. Uh, a good business model, I guess you would call it, and uh, they were making money, and they they bought adjacent land. They bought, uh, besides the 640 acres that they owned, and they bought another 400 acres to the north between uh, the Highway 22 bridge and the north edge of the property they already owned. And then some years later, when the mining on that had was well progressed, they started buying land to the south all the way down to the Blue Earth County line. And uh, they, the original 640 acres grew to be, oh, I don't know, 22, 2300 acres or something like that. They've it's expanded a lot. And they in the, in the last expansion, they anticipated mining there to the, the year 2040 or even later. Is part of the deal in, in terms of that agreement was that they would restore the land after they've mined it? Is that part of what's supposed to be that happening? Was, and is that happening? That was a key part of the permitting process. And that that went to state rules and uh, to county permits and all that sort of stuff. And uh, as the years went by and as, uh, edu- as environmental awareness became more ingrained in both the public and in uh, the science and law, that the conditions got more and more stringent, okay. and so by the by the time you know by the time the two thousands came around, the requirements for restoration were were very strong and very positive from our point of view. We would rather have not seen the the area mined at all because it was had so much natural diversity, but a lot of it wasn't being mined under the new rules, and that the parts that were mined were being restored to high-quality prairie with using native plants from around the area and using the professionals who knew how to take care of the land and restore the water flow and the control the dust and the animal life and everything out uh, around there without disturbing it too much any more than they absolutely had to. How much has been converted into prairie land? You mentioned there was at first the 240 acres and it's expanded, but as they go along, are they creating more prairie land? Is that what's going on? To some degree. There's, uh, there was 90 acres of prairie that uh, in the original parcel that was uh, on the bluffs above the river. And that was the highest quality area. It was also an area that was would have been very difficult to mine because of its uh, rolling nature of the terrain there and charge a, a large, large number of rock outcroppings, which was why it had never been plowed. And there were some areas that were adjacent to that parcel, which were included in the original agreement, that, that were mined and were, then were filled in and restored and planted to, to prairie grasses. And that... That raised the area up to about 120 acres. And then there, there are some fringe areas uh, around there that probably add another 40 acres or so that we hoped sometime would be 
formally added to the conservation zone. It seemed like it was only normal. It was being restored at the expense that the, all the original area was, and, and it was not connected in any way to any other properties, so it, it, would, it would naturally abutted and uh, was part of the prairie, so we, we assumed that that would eventually be included in the, the package at the end. Is the Save the Kosota Prairie Group satisfied that they are fulfilling their agreement to restore this area as best as can be after it's been mined like this? Uh, to the most part, uh, they turned out to be pretty good partners in this process. They, they, we kind of dragged them kicking and screaming into it. We got a district court settlement that bound them to uh, abide by certain strictures and taking care of the land and managing it uh, while they still owned it and turning it over at the end. But uh, about 10 years into the process, around 1990 or so, they they had some people that in management locally that became very interested in the, the whole idea of prairie preservation and prairie restoration. And they lobbied within the company to increase the investment there and to... Uh, increase their cooperation with us. And through the 90s, they, there was especially uh, ambitious process of, of taking the land that, it, that had been overgrazed by cattle and restoring it by going in and, and essentially killing off all the invasive plants that they could and then planting, planting you know, go, running a fire through there and planting seeds of native grasses on top of that and monitoring it over the next five, ten years to make sure that it was taking well. And that, it was very ambitious, and it was, uh, it was kind of exciting to see, too. We worked with them very closely on that. And they spent a substantial amount of money, money that we probably never could have raised if we owned the land outright. So we were real happy with that. How would you describe it to someone if they were thinking about going out there? What is out there to see for your average person to bring their family out there, for example? Because I know it's open to the public. Well, we have a, we have a hack, uh, hiking pass that we've maintained, and we mow it. It leads people into the middle of the prairie. There's a, there's footpaths and, and deer trails and stuff like that. They go in every direction from there. and people are, It's all wide open. People can uh, wander as they want. And it, there's every season of the year, except for the winter, there's flowers blooming. And even in the winter, there's there's dried flowers. And, and it's a lot of people go out there. Do people cross-country ski in the winter at yes, all? Yes, they do. They do. Yeah. So it is used year-round then. Yeah, yeah. And is it restored like an actual prairie would be back in the day before the, the lands were cleared? Quite a bit. There's a, a limitation on the, the animals there. that We don't have any bison there. <laughs> Is we that ever a thought in the future? I mean, they've got them oh, over. We, we at, talk about yeah. it all the time now. The uh, Miniopa's uh, project has been so successful. But the Miniopa has a little more room, and uh, they have a little more ability to, to control the access and keep the buffalo where they want to and keep the people out. You know, people could go through there on their cars, but you don't send people on foot out on the bison. <laughs> no, no prepare, you don't. You know? <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, there, there's some limitations there. It, it's something that might be uh, looked at in the future. It's a There's a, a broad area. That whole area, we had about 
90 acres when we started out that were in good quality prairie, but that, that whole biogeographical area extends all the way from St. Peter down to the northern residential areas of Mankato, you know, that are called prairie to this day. And uh, the whole area, is, I measured it out, is something like 9,000 acres, which would kind of fit. 90 acres out of 9,000 acres is 1%, which is what we have statewide remaining of good prairie. So there's, there's some of those areas between Kosota and Mankato have been developed, like the Stonehenge and, and those residential areas that are unincorporated, and they cover quite a bit of area in Blue Earth County but not in Lucera County. In Lucera County, it's all been farmsteads, and they've been small and not particularly uh, productive farms, but some of them go back to the Civil War. Civil War veterans uh, homesteaded on that area and ran cattle and, and things like that and had small patches of land that they could raise cash crops on. Eric, what is it that makes you so passionate about working with the prairie that you've been doing this for so long, so much of your life? I don't know. I I got involved with uh, with friends of mine that lived next to it, like my friend Bob Idso, who's in the picture with me. In the paper, yeah. There's a yeah. recent article about that. Right, and he he lived right next door to it, and he he had a he had a passionate feeling about the the fate of that land because he lived so close to it and knew it so well. And uh, other people that I met during the the early days of uh, getting organized and all that felt the same way as tend to be Kosota people and St. Peter people, you know, people who uh, had a love of the outdoors and knew about this particular area. So I just learned more about it and uh, got more and more involved and got involved with the organization. You know, now I'm an officer of the organization. And so You've been involved for, what, over 40 years or something, I think I read in the article? Long well, time. yeah, I, I don't think I was a formal member of the organization until maybe the early 90s, which would okay. have been 30 years ago. But uh, that's, you know, I I was a casual participant in the events and uh, was aware of it through the 90s, or the 80s, I mean. Sure. And now the headlines in the free press that came out in the early part of September was the future of land ownership is in question. What is that all about? Well, there was one thing in the paper that they got wrong. They said it's been two years since we've had an open house out there. It's actually been four years. Oh, because of the pandemic? Is two years ago, we were right in the middle of the pandemic, and we were we were scheduled to have an open house in then, and as we've been doing every two years for the last 10 or 15. The pandemic made it impossible in 2020 to do that. So the last time we, it was 2018 was the last time we had one of these. And late in uh, 2019 is when they closed up the mining. They uh, laid off the workers there and announced that they were uh, closing the plant down and they were didn't know when it would open up again. And everybody was somewhat alarmed at that. What What is that going to mean? You know, what is, are they going to just try to walk away from it? Or, you know, they have real strict rules that would prevent that, but uh, sometimes corporations have a way of getting around rules. So what's happened since then? Anything? Uh, we met that year, and uh, we had all of our regular meetings about planning for the year ahead. We we planned a normal round of, of uh, prairie management, but we had to admit that we weren't going to be able to have a public event 
mm-hmm. like the open house COVID. that year. Mm-hmm. And things went well that year. And then the, the next year after that, we thought, well, the pandemic is kind of ebbing a little. Maybe we could do a makeup in 2021. Well, they weren't willing to accept the risk on that. Sure. They figured the liability was too great and there was too much uncertainty as far as the the continuing risk of COVID. And of course, that summer we had the, the Delta spike in infections, which was very serious. So we had to lay that off too. So the, this year it's been, well, we're going on three years since the plant closed down operations. And uh, a lot of the equipment was taken out of the pits. The The mining pit was allowed to flood, which cut off the flow of water across the prairie, which had been maintained for for 40 years. They, when they were mining, they had to pump water out continually. Otherwise, their, their pits would fill up with water, and the water was pumped onto the prairie. And it was actually very attractive because it, it filtered naturally through the the gravel and the the soil there, and uh, so are they gone now? That the where the water is dried up. But there the, is no the company is the company gone? Are they going to? No, they still own the land. Okay. And, uh, do they continue to maintain and do restore like they had promised? Is that working still? They maintain all their agreements with okay. the state and the the county and with us about their management and the amount that they pay in property taxes and sure. all that sort of stuff, all that is unchanged. And all of their permits are still in effect. So they they say, well, no, we're not saying we're done here. Okay. But uh, we're not saying we're going to come back because we don't know when or if we will come back. So that part of it has been left very much open. Okay. And, and you now have planned another open house so the public can come and see this land and, and enjoy it coming up on Saturday, September 17th. It's uh, 8 till noon, so essentially a morning event at the Casota Prairie, and then the EcoBus is going to be coming as a part of that. Talk about what what is that event going to be all about? Well, the Ecology Bus has been a partner with us uh, and has brought school children out to the Prairie ever since, I think the first time was 1993 or four. I spent the spring of 94 is when the first time we had it out there. But uh, we were sponsors of them at that time and had a close working relationship with them. And like I say, that every year hundreds of mostly elementary school children are brought out to the prairie and taught about the prairie. And we figure that's that's wonderful exposure. It, uh, we have a whole generation that knows about the prairie, appreciates the prairie. The kids have the most wonderful time out there. They get away from their classrooms in a, on a beautiful, usually in October. Mm-hmm. And everything is just absolutely gorgeous. And the, the grasses are very colorful and at the full height there's blue skies overhead and, and birds flying and everything. It's a, it's a wonderful day out for the school children and for their teachers. And they go home and tell their parents about it. And I think a lot of people, uh, we probably have generations of people that have returned to the prairie over and over again because of that exposure. And so, the, the public is invited on Saturday, September 17th to see this eco bus as well as the the prairie. So where do people go? Where exactly do they show up at? Because you know the prairie's a big place. So how do people get there? And is it just come as you whenever you want? Well, we we have a a parking lot area oh. and uh, an area where we set up a tent and pitch a few tables and stuff like that. And we'll 
We'll be there as an organization. We'll be talking to people. We'll be signing people up as members. We'll be selling our T-shirts and giving away our uh, bumper stickers and things like that. So Unimin, uh, which has now been joined by another company, and they go under the name of Covia now for the last okay. few years, but all the agreements are still in effect. People from Covia will be there. There's not as many of them in this area because there isn't. the plant is not working. The mine is not right. working. So there, there are still some maintenance people that stay around here, and some of them will be coming out there to talk to people. There will be other people, volunteers from uh, local groups that are connected with us from the higher education and people who are familiar with the prairie that take their students out there to teach about geology and soil chemistry and all those sort of things. They will be coming out there too. And it'll, it's very informal. We don't have any speeches or anything like that, but people will people ask questions and the people who are around there will try to answer them. People will go hiking on the prairie as they choose. And if they want to gather as a group and have a guide, we will be available for that, too, and we'll go out there during the day. What is the address? Is there an address you could put in your GPS to find it? Well, let's see. It's called, essentially, you know, the, as I say, it's the, well marked out with green signs from either Highway 22 or the 3rd Avenue blacktop. Okay. And uh, you go in on 480th Street, okay. the gravel road, and then swing north on there to the end of the road where there's a there's a parking lot. It's a oh. large parking lot where we can get a school bus in and turn it around and load and unload and all that sort of stuff. We'll get maybe 20 or 30 cars in there and the rest, people beyond that will park along the side of the road and walk down a short area to get to the parking lot and we'll all be set up in there. I know we took advantage of it in the past and brought our boys, and they really enjoyed it because they're, well, I've got one that's really interested in geology and that sort of thing. And it is really just a beautiful area. Bring your camera. I know there's all sorts of insects and things to, to look at. So people want to know how that this prairie, which was a mine, has basically been renovated to be something beautiful again and trying to preserve our area. I think it's a great opportunity to go a Saturday, September 17th. Is there a website people can find or a Facebook page they can go to find out more? Yeah, uh, we have a, a Facebook page, Save the Casota Prairie okay. Facebook page, and we'll have some links on there. As a matter of fact, we might have a link on there for this uh, to get to the archive interview here for sure. people who aren't getting it now. And I wanted to ask you as far as how to become a member of Save the Casota Prairie, what does that entail? Basically, it means showing up and uh, signing up. Okay. We'll we'll be at the Rock Bend this this weekend. That's a major thing every year that we do. We set up a a booth there and we talk to people. We have, we have displays and pictures and literature and things like that. And and people always ask us uh, about what's going on over at the prairie. And an awful lot of people in this area go out there regularly, even more now than uh, than they did. 20 years ago, I think, and more people know about it, and it's uh, it's well-maintained. There's a place to park. It's uh, very, very safe, and you don't have to climb any fences or anything like that. It's all wide open. Well, thank you so much for updating us on the history and a little bit about it, and the part that you talked about how they're going to continue to hopefully maintain this area is really good news. I hope so. Yeah. I hope uh, the exposure will satisfy people that there is still something 
important going on there and that the area still it still exists and it's still worth saving. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Eric Steinmetz from Save the Casota Prairie. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.